Altbau, somewhere deep in the suburb of Moabit, Berlin, two wicked women sit in contemplation of the world, huddled around the microphones of their home studio. We are singer-songwriter Samantha Waring. That's me. And broadcaster and writer Megan Spencer. Oh, that's me. And we're two Australian Wahlberlinerinnen, meaning optionally Berliners. Or Berliners by choice. Three Wicked Women is our podcast. The third woman being the beautiful, bright and belligerent city of Berlin, brimming with Berliner schnauzer and tales aplenty. Each episode, we will bring you seriously funny conversation, fearless music and wicked guests. Yep, it's another Vertumpta podcast. And no, it's not NPR. Three Wicked Women is very loose radio indeed. Welcome, Welcome to, to our, our world. Sam, your washing's ready. And a very warm welcome to Three Wicked Women, episode four, side one, track four. I just know that something good is going to (laughs) happen. Said with such feeling. Hi, Sam. Hi, Megan. (laughs) And the reason those words came out of Sam's mouth is because (gasps) the most Wuthering Heights day ever is literally only days away now. And we have been talking about this for the past four episodes of this podcast. Four episodes. It's been in the planning for a very long time and then this is the week. The journey is almost reaching its destination. And I'm really hoping that in these last few days we might hear from Kate herself. Kate Bush. Well, it would be amazing. We've put it out into the universe. You know, it's our gift to her, our, our great thanks for her body of work. Will she turn up in person to witness thousands or hundreds of people enacting the Wuthering Heights video together in London, maybe here in Berlin? It'd be amazing. Maybe she'll fly, someone might fly her in on a private jet into Tempelhofer Airfeld. Oh, (laughs) that's romantic, isn't it? (laughs) As you're all about to kick off dancing to Wuthering Heights in your red dresses. I imagine Kate being a biplane kind of girl. (laughs) You know, twin prop. Would she stand on the top oh, like they I used to? I so hope so. Oh, wouldn't that? Imagine that with all the air flowing uh, around Red the dress. Red streamers coming off the back of the dress. Oh, I'm loving it. So, yes, we're literally days away on July 16. Day of weathering, hashtag. Come 1,500 hours in 19 countries around the world. It's the- at 3 o'clock on the July 16th, all over the world. And if you're listening to us from Berlin... Tempelhofer Elfeld is the venue for it. Won't be able to miss you because there'll just be a uh, sea of red there. Yes, we're looking at somewhere between one and 3,000 people at this point. I love it. Well, look, if you go to the Berlin event or indeed any other event. All over the world. Hashtag day of Wuthering. A day of dance and celebration of Kate Bush's music. If you go to any of them and you take photos or video or any other documentation, we would love you to share it with us here at Three Wicked Women. You could upload it to our Facebook page, which is Three Wicked Women Radio. You could tweet it to us at Wicked Women Rad, because we are. <laughs> you could email us your photos or videos or sound, three wicked women radio at gmail.com. And of course, you can go to the most Wuthering Heights Day Ever Facebook page in Berlin and upload to there as well, or any other of the Facebook pages from around the world. And what countries again, Sam? Indeed, there are events in Sweden, Israel, Canada, Denmark, the United States, Norway, 
Australia and New Zealand. A lot of events in Australia. God love them. <laughs> God love you people. Three wicked women. We have lots of wires. Lots and lots <laughs> of wires. Don't trip. So today's episode is entirely dedicated to one Catherine Kate Bush. I'm pretty excited about this one, Sam. We've got a lot of wicked women to talk to about Kate Bush. Indeed. One of them will be Berlin-based Australian actress Fiona Martin-Alley, upon whom Kate Bush was a huge influence when she was growing up in Newcastle. And she'll also talk to us about her brand new solo theatre show. Comedian Amelia Jane Hunter will recall how Kate Bush changed the family (laughs) dynamics in her lounge room in her regular spot. Commit no nuisance. We're also really lucky to have a visiting Australian singer-songwriter coming by today on Three Wicked Women. Her name is Jess Ribeiro and she will discuss the backstory to Kate Bush's song and video cloud busting and she'll play us a track live too from her new album, Kill It Yourself. And Oliver Budak comes back to us with a recommendation for a fabulous freak food and wine match Fit for a vegetarian such as Kate Bush. Just as well. (laughs) Or we'd be in trouble. Mm. But first, given that we are so close to the most Wuthering Heights day ever, shall we have a look at the book, Sam, that inspired the iconic song and music video, Wuthering Heights? The book by Emily Bronte. Test one, two. Three wicked women. Sam, I'm curious as to the story behind... How Wuthering Heights was written by Kate Bush, the song. How did it come about? She had seen a TV adaptation of Wuthering Heights. I think this was the one that we looked at with Timothy Dalton, yeah, the future Bond. Oh. I saw an interview where she said she only saw the last 10 minutes and then became sort of hypnotised by Heathcliff's obvious masculinity and terror and the gothic wonderfulness of it all, which would be completely alluring as a... 14-year-old teenager. So she girl. was kind of besotted by... Apparently. <laughs> like it waved a magic wand over and her. And then she went and read the book and ah. then she was... And then sort of... And then she wrote that song. Yeah. Well, it's just as well then that we have with us someone who's studied the book because I've only seen the film, the 1939 film, and there have ah. been other film adaptations plus that television series, like mm. modern ones, like in the last sort of decade or so. But we have with us now Melissa Great Ward. Hello. Hello. And you are a freelance writer and a big literature fan. And not too long ago, you were studying literature and you happened to do a paper about Wuthering Heights. Correct. And what did you find out about Wuthering Heights? What, what was the focus of the paper? What did you explore about this book by Emily Bronte? Well, I think it's interesting what you guys were talking about, the film adaptation or the many reinterpretations on telly. Because in those, I think their paint Heathcliff as sort of this romantic, whereas he's actually a bit of a brute, which maybe isn't entirely his fault. So <laughs> he... Because well, let, let's recap the story yeah. for people who haven't read the book and maybe insanely might not have even listened to the lyrics mm. of, the, of the song. It's quite incestuous um, <laughs> in some ways. So Written Sorry. in what year? Uh, 1847. And it's... It was published in two volumes, wasn't it? Yes, it was originally written under Bronte's pseudonym, Alice Bell, so a male pseudonym mm-hmm. at the time. Um, sadly, 
she died at the age of 30 and it had only been out for a year um, at that oh. time. So she never really knew, you know, to think that we're still talking about this book in 2016. And she had no idea of her <laughs> legacy. Oh, <laughs> Isn't that amazing? She but didn't get to tune in on Countdown to see Kate, Kate <laughs> To see Kate waving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> waving around <laughs> about <Yeah. laughs> Like exactly. a tree. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Catherine is born into a family, the Earnshaws. And her father, Mr. Earnshaw, brings home a boy, Heathcliff, who's referred to as sort of a gypsy brat in the novel. He's a child the father finds on the streets of Liverpool. Now, whether he's an illegitimate child or whether he really is just an orphan who Mr. Earnshaw, you know, sort Took of... in. Yep, exactly. You know, that's up to you Spurious, as the reader. yes. Yeah, <laughs> to yep, decide. Sure. Yep. Yeah, so basically... You have Catherine and her brother Hindley and throughout her childhood, Catherine and Heathcliff are, you know, best buddies. They're hanging out a lot. You know, they mm. they really get along. They're really drawn to each other. They're like, you know, one soul. So other people in the family, for instance, like Catherine's brother, older brother Hindley, rather, who would be, I guess, the firstborn son, mm. um, really gives Heathcliff a hard time. Uh, he uh, feels terribly threatened. Threatened <laughs> for, his, for his inheritance. I guess so, yeah. And just and position. Know, having, mm, having yeah. the other boy around. and and But he does get some pretty rough treatment as a kid, also from the neighbouring family. Um, so that's the Lintons, and they're, they're really important to the story as well. So I guess, long story short, he's relegated. So the, the old man dies, who, the old man who brought yes. him home in an act of Christian charity. <laughs> he dies and Hindley just says, you're the stable boy. Mm-hmm. He gets abused. Yes. But Catherine, Kathy and mm-hmm. him stay friends mm-hmm. and they kind of fall in love in a strange, dark, gothic way. Totally. And, totally dark. <laughs> and then he and he swears black and blue revenge against the older brother Hindley. Yes. And uh, it kind of goes from there really. And, and uh, she's very torn by her feelings towards him because she wants to get out of this moor, mm-hmm. this manor on the moor. Mm-hmm. She wants to have some fun sort of peeking over the neighbour's fence, sees them all dancing and upwardly mobile, moving up in the world. Definitely. And she wants that life but th- she's really torn between that like her, what she's been born into and her love for this Heathcliff. What you do see is there's an incident where Catherine is, she's bitten by dogs, they're all out, and then she goes to stay at the Lintons and that's five weeks when she's away from Heathcliff and when she comes back, she's kind of transformed and Very she looks at yeah. him and she sees, you know, she looks down on him and oh. talks about his appearance and says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but, oh, well, if you go and take a bath, you'll look better and these kind of things. So she's picked up that snobbery. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then I don't know if we want to fast forward a bit or spoiler alert, but uh, she, marries the, she marries one of the Lintons. So she marries Edgar. You know, at a time when, you know, marriage means financial stability, um, mm. you're mo- moving, like you said, moving up the social ranks. So tell us, what did you explore in your paper? What was it focusing on? Sure. So in the paper, we're actually looking more at power struggles. So everyone sees, well, Wuthering Heights, I guess, is a great romantic novel, gothic romance, but it, it's more than that. It's a book that looks at class and power struggles in a really dark way because, you know, you, you could empathise with Heathcliff as a child maybe you Mm. know but then you just see him transform into this evil 
brute. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if a, a child of an abuse, yep. sort of an abusive yep. upbringing. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Like his base, and then, you know, being made to be a servant. There's and a then lot of masochism of... and sadism in totally. this. Totally. And it's very interesting. In the 1939 film that starred Laurence Olivier Merle Oberon, directed by William Wyler, I found it hilarious at the start because there's a lot of references to like S&M and domination and submission. So there's all this mm-hmm. stuff about you're going to be my slave. Mm-hmm. And there's this scene where she's whipping her brother and yeah. she's mucking around with this Whoa. whip and it keeps popping up quite a lot. So it's almost like it's this you could read it through dominatrix eyes. <laughs> That's As this, a, yeah. this S&M sort of a, text. A female, a female rural British Marquis de Sade. Very much so. <laughs> Casting her eyes across the but, yeah. Victorian social media. Yeah. There's but some the, fanfic in yeah. that for sure. But there's, some, there's such cruelty mm. in this. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a, a cruel, cruel story. Cruel yeah. tale. Um, there were some interesting literary quotes at the time, things like, uh, how could the person who wrote this not have committed suicide afterwards because it's so awful? Again, paraphrase, yes. but mm. the that kind of level of, of criticism. Vitriol. Yeah, because it was mm. just so like this is grotesque. So here's the thing. What, what's the bottom line for you then with the paper that you explored? I mean, you've talked a bit about power, but what mm-hmm. do you see Emily Bronte, what do you hear from the conversation she has in particular about race and, and, and Victorian era England. I Where think it's definitely think? a book about about class struggles and that and that through that you see, yeah, it, it could be about race as well. Without knowing Heathcliff's origins specifically, it's hard to say that, but it is a book, yeah, definitely about power. It's a book about elitism and no one wins in this book, really. Yeah. Like, so everyone's an anti-hero. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Melissa, I guess we can't let you go without asking you about what you think of the Kate Bush interpretation mm. or remake, shall we say, remake. of that story within a music video and a, and a three or four minute song. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I, looking at the song, I would have never thought it was anything as dark as, you know, I mean, if you think of yourself as a child seeing that video clip, you have no idea that Catherine's a ghost. You have no, you know, like all of the morbid kind of stuff behind the story. Why mm. she's there, why she's saying, let me in, I'm cold, you know, a ghost at the window kind of mm-hmm. trying to get through. Um, but it, that's what I really like, I guess, about music and books. You know, when you come back to songs or things later on and you find new things in mm-hmm. them that you didn't know, you know, at the time. What do you feel about Kate Bush's characterization of Kathy? <laughs> I mean, as in, like, as a as a character in relation to Catherine Earnshaw in the book, she seems much softer ah. in the f- in the film clip to me. You know, she seems approachable. She seems friendly. a victim. You think so? Yeah, I I think so. A victim in the in the clip, but in the book, she's as yeah. brutal as Heathcliff. Yeah. Well, that's, that's <laughs> what I feel. You might no. think differently. I mean, some some of the lines, you know, are taken directly from the book, mm. I guess, which is interesting. Also, because the book has several narrators and the only time we see Catherine you know is through her diary and things like that or so she never directly speaks for herself no not really yeah Yeah, I guess it's like that thing of the unreliable narrator because when she's coming to us you know via Kate Bush it's like there's this other version of her that's directly speaking to Heathcliff which seems soft to me at least or Um, it's taken on more of the the gothic romance aspect rather than the brutality or realism of the book. What I love about the film clip is the the landscape, Mm. the way that that, she really captured that and the way that she the opening lines of the song I think really 
set the scene really well. I wanted to say as well that for anyone who's getting ready for the, the International Day of Wuthering mm. and that wants to read the book beforehand, it's available for free on Project Gutenberg. So... <sighs> You know, you could definitely download that. Do we have a website address for that at all? Sure. I believe it's gutenberg.org. In in German or in English? In English. Oh, fantastic. Gutenberg's a project to digitise works that have fallen out of copyright, but classic works of literature from across a number of different languages. That's well, really good. Melissa, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and your paper about mm. uh, your exploration of Wuthering Heights and its power plays and its exploration of, of Gothic England. And we expect to see you dressed in a red dress yes. come July 16th. I can't wait. Out on Templehofer Feld with um, Sam and the rest of the thousands of Kate Bush fans. I haven't got my dress yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. My name is Wayne Blair. I am the director of Clever Man and Megan Spencer. I've known you for many years and I still think you're a very wicked woman. And Sam, I heard you are too. So Sam, I reckon Kate Bush fans are lurking everywhere. I think so too. She has a a remarkably resilient fan base for someone who only puts a record out once every five to ten years. They are ubiquitous, aren't they? Mm. We found one of them in the theatre here, an Australian expat, Fiona Martinelli. Fiona's a mum of five, an English teacher and an Australian actress who not long ago premiered her first ever solo show at the English Theatre Berlin, the city in which she now lives. She also... Just happened to study at NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art in Australia, with Kate Blanchett, Mm. same class. And not only that, she is a massive Kate Bush fan. Of course I'm a Kate Bush fan. Do you know when I was in uh, Catholic high school in uh, Newcastle, Australia, 1984? I thought I was the hottest chick because (laughs) I had this idea to have a three-part Kate Bush costume mm-hmm. for the graduation party and I thought you know in that babushka mm. um, video she has this sort of this black thing and she's got a double base and then she turns into Wonder Woman with her beautiful you know I thought I would combine all those three <gasps> things and I'd have a bit of the first part and I'd have a instead of a, a double bass I'd have a guitar and then I'd have this kind of amazing top bustier. yeah bustier yeah. and the headpiece and I thought everyone would get it but nobody got it and it didn't work at all. It was a big fail. But (laughs) was it a disaster at the prom? It was such a disaster (laughs) at the prom. And everybody just said, what are you doing? What are you doing? But why why have you got a guitar? And I I couldn't explain it. It Did you crimp your hair? I did. And I had the veil. She had a veil. So I thought it was really clear and I was going to just be babushka. But it didn't work. Philistine's beyond Fiona. my time. Yes, but <laughs> she was. She did loom large over your life a little bit, didn't oh, she? She Kate Bush, did. She point. did because it was just the time that I was starting to be a theatre person. Theatre, theatre, mm. and there was only one place in Newcastle. It was Young People's Theatre, and we all sort of gathered there. And so everybody there was Kate Bush, or they were David Bowie. You know, mm. we were just all the weirdos that that wanted more of that glam rock and wanted those people. And Kate Bush was. Astounding, astounding mm. for a, a young theatreette person who lived in suburbia in Newcastle, Australia. Come on. And she was only a couple of years older than you would have been, you know, like this. That's so crazy. This, this fully formed icon just emerged, this female. How, how did David they do Bowie. it? How did she do Wuthering Heights? Well, she's like 19, 17, No, 18, no, well, she recorded it then, but she wrote it when she was 16. What? What? That's genius, isn't it? There's no <laughs> way I couldn't even get a costume together. Oh, she's extraordinary. So how did you hop, skip and 
jump your way from dressing up as Kate Bush but Bushka in, yeah. into into <laughs> NIDA. Uh, that How was did... that was oh well that's actually a clear path. I got mm. into um, I was a bit of a serious student and I got into law school mm-hmm. and I was down there in at the ANU in Canberra just dying at law school wondering oh. why this wasn't like LA law that's the only reason that I was doing it I actually thought we were all you know dressing up and when I realized the way the law system was and those wigs they have to wear and the cloaks and how tedious and how much work there was to do I I couldn't wait to get out I left university and I jumped on a bus and I went to Perth and they were doing the NIDA auditions in Perth for mm. some reason. And I fought my way to get an audition while I was just traveling in Perth and um, got in in Perth, got the call, came back wow. and joined the next year. Wow. Yeah, I was so fortunate. It was an amazing time. What, what is it that you love about acting, Fiona? I love the people, the characters. That's why I love Kate Bush, because she does too. She mm. gets so fascinated by characters from books or real people or people that are fighting for things. Or And she just, I, I am so endlessly fascinated by people. I, I think that's why I've just traveled and all these years later... I'm still excited by a new city, by new uh, environments. Uh, Well, you'd better be because you've lived in 10 different countries, haven't you? (laughs) I know. It doesn't make sense to anybody except if I can still be here in Berlin all Mm. these years later fascinated by what's happening on the streets or in front of me or on the U-Bahn or even where I live because of... Uh, the newness of it and, and, and all the different peoples around, then, then obviously I'm a, I'm a bit addicted to that kind of thing. And that's where the acting is exciting as well, playing different parts and exploring and stories, lots and lots of stories. Well, Berlin's a perfect city for people watching. Who who are your favourite street characters? Who have you observed? <laughs> there's so many. There's so many even in the 18 months that that I've been here. There's the the crazy guy that I saw yesterday wearing a G-string and he had a bikini top and he had army jacket and a sarong and he was talking politics or philosophy quite seriously with the glasses and he um, was just looking like this was the most normal thing in the world and quite well-spoken. And, and you know, the the street people here and the homeless people who speak seven languages uh, and they, you know, that thing, that, that, that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't, it's astonishing. But interestingly, Fiona, your father's Italian, your mother is Tongan. Is that right? That's right. So, so what languages did you speak I grew up in that kind of weird, <laughs> I grew up in a strange situation where mum started speaking in Tongan language, her mother tongue, until I got, I, I decided I'd just turn it to English because why, we have to speak. English in this country, it's Australia. I did that silly thing and then I oh, told well, mum to stop did. it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And I just so regretted that because then I lost it. Uh, my dad didn't really, he spoke this broken um, English <laughs> and then his, but his, his parents were there and I had to speak Italian to them. But what I was speaking was a dialect, which I didn't realise. So I thought I spoke Italian until I get to Italy <laughs> when I'm 18 and I'm speaking this language and everyone's laughing at me Aww. because it's kind of the country bumpkin language and it was a dialect and it wasn't Italian Mm. and that was a shock for me so I I did I grew up with all of that my best friend was Croatian I was fascinated by the different cultures I went to a Polish Catholic school uh, that was lots of Polish nuns I just I was really interested in the cultures 
And at the same time, you know, I loved Vegemite sandwiches and sausage rolls and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I loved all the Australian stuff as well. Well, it doesn't surprise me then that you have lived in 10 countries and you also have five children, I, I might add, this, this amazing caravan of love that you've uh, made five, and taken around the, the world with children you. five children came along unplanned <laughs> and all of them born in a different country. Wow. I mean, didn't sort of plan on any of truly that. Truly international. The, yeah. Truly the Eurovision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Eurovision of families. Yes. Oh, they are. And when it's the World Cup, or something we have massive fights and because the children are funny right they might just be born in a country I have a son that was born in Amsterdam and he thinks he's Dutch and, <laughs> and we were only there for for two months or something we were there yeah, we had a baby but when they're playing he gets really really worked up and then the other girl that's really close to Italy and very very connected to Italy you know they'll fight each other about that oh. and I'm just saying who's Australian here who's who's with me come on come on we have this kind of skippy <laughs> yeah. it's just the weirdest thing but um they they really are third culture kids there really mm. is a whole different breed of kids nowadays so our, um, our guest is fiona martinelli she is an australian actress she's an australian living in berlin and the most exciting thing is happening because you've just had your very first solo show you debuted as part of the English theatre in Berlin, Wahlberliner Festival, yes. which means mm-hmm. Berliner by choice. <laughs> and yeah, th- these experiences that you're describing to us so richly, are they in this? this oh, show? they are in it. Thank you. It was so exciting. It was something that happened uh, quite spontaneously because I am always asked about my life and how I ended up being in Berlin and why I live in so many countries. And I don't really answer the questions. And then I decided that I, I might have a think about putting it all together. And uh, I applied to be part of this festival and they accepted it. And then I wrote this play and I had an amazing director that helped me with it. And we put all of this in there. My love of acting, my love of travel, meeting my husband along the way, and then a relentless next 20 years where we always thought we were going to stay in a country. It's not that we always wanted to move on. We thought we would be living in this country and then something would happen to take us to another country and then something would happen to take us to another and along the way these babies came along. (laughs) So then I had to put family into the play as well and I called it the present imperfect because I'm an English teacher and I use these stories often in my class but I thought I would frame it all within the the English tenses and that I would be trying to find the perfect tense to live in, whether it's the past or the present or the future. (laughs) So it ended up being quite the piece and um, it really gave me a chance to to look at my life with all the jokes and the madness and the craziness and the chaos and how fortunate I am to be living this life and just the amazing things I've learnt along the way. Can we get to see it again anywhere else? I'm going to be playing it here in Berlin. I'm determined to Mm. to have a longer season. I've already been asked about um, whether I can put it on towards November, so I'm, I'm arranging for that to happen. But I want to take it on tour. I need to take it back to Australia. I want to take it to Canada. I want to go to the festival so I can take my one woman show and get back on the stage again. I'm How so ex- excited. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll make sure we get uh, Kate Blanchett in the first row. <laughs> oh, I'll have to send her. <laughs> so she can see her old classmate <laughs> who now lives in Berlin. She's even, she's even a little bit in the place, so Ooh. she has to come along. I don't mention her, of course, but there's definitely a part with Kate. She was such a, she's, she was a great friend when we were at drama school and she was such an amazing person walking into the class. But afterwards, I found that 
reporters kept calling along the way. I'd be so excited going, hi, this is Vanity Fair calling. And I'd be, oh my God, we want to ask about Kate Blanchett. Was she, were you, we heard you were in her class and it was always a bit okay. And so I was excited to talk about her. And then after about the 10th time, they would hunt you down. You sort of go, uh, look, you know, I'm changing nappies at the moment. I really, I don't know what Kate's doing, but I'm a little bit busy right now with my four kids. So could you just, and, and you know, and that became part of the play because it was like everywhere I went. Yeah. Um, look, we will wind up, but uh, we have a very special question that we love to ask our wicked women. So I will hand it over to Sam now. Who is your favourite wicked woman? Do you have a... Oh, I... You know Caitlin Moran, who oh, wrote the, yes. the the feminist book, mm. the, uh, How to Be a Woman. She's a... I am such a fan of hers. I am such a fan. She's a writer and a commentator, and she's she's uh, uh, she said something about, you know, I think anyone that has a vagina should be a feminist. I just can't understand why that wouldn't be the case. And I thought, uh, yes, woman, I don't understand it either. Uh, and I love what she says. She's hilarious and she's smart and, yeah, I think she's great. So she's my favourite at the moment. Wonderful. Thank <laughs> you very much. Good answer. Yes, thank you for sharing and thank you for being our third Wicked Woman right now. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Three Wicked Women Radio. I've forgotten what the next bit is. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very excited here on Three Wicked Women. Oh. That Sam's excited sound. Oh, it's a really good one. It is, isn't it? <laughs> because who is our special guest? We have the amazing Australian singer-songwriter Jess Ribeiro. Yay! Very herzlich willkommen. Hi. We've gone Thank around the having world me. together now, Jess. I was thinking that this morning, Megan. Because this, we have to try, it all roads lead back to Oliver Budak, our gut feeling sommelier, mm. who we talk to every week. So I'm married to Oliver. And Oliver and Jess shared a house in Darwin before I met him. And that's how I met Jess when I moved to Darwin mm. after I met Oliver. And they're like big brother, little sister relationship yes. goes back almost 10 years now. Yes. And then Jess moved to Melbourne and we moved to Melbourne. So we're kind of, and now she's in Berlin for a few months. We're following each other around. That's wonderful. Oh. Isn't it ace? Yes. So you're here in Berlin. I'm here. I made it. Finally. Finally. Well, have you it been only a... took 20 years, but I made it. So you've parachuted yourself in off the back of releasing your second major long play, shall we say. Mm. Yes. Yes. That's... Called Kill It Yourself. Yep. And how did the release go of Kill It Yourself back in Australia? Played a lot of shows. We did a lot of festivals. We got invited to things we haven't been invited to before. So I guess that's mm-hmm. uh, where were a you cause playing for celebration? Yeah. We did Meredith Music Festival oh, in Melbourne. I loved Meredith. How was it to play to the the supernatural amphitheatre? I was a bit seedy when we played. <laughs> it's probably the best way to be. For <laughs> and, it, and it was so hot and dry. It was pretty uncomfortable, and you just. Do it, I guess. And you also played Ichuka Music Festival, oh. which is close to where I used to live in Bendigo in central Victoria. And I remember going to the very first one because it's not that old and thinking, man, Jessica should come and play up here this yeah. year. How was it? The people were so dedicated. There were thousands of people and it was so hot and I don't know why they weren't like kind of passed out. <laughs> and... They loved it Mm. and I swear it was one of the hottest days of summer and 
people were just, you know, they just love it. Yeah. They were just soaking it up. And a lot of families go to that festival too. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so that's it, it's kind <clears> of the complete opposite to the Meredith Music Festival. And then I think we're doing some art gallery shows in Australia, which mm-hmm. is really fancy, mm. <laughs> you know, like the, the, the National Gallery of Victoria um, and lovely. GOMA. We're doing the Cindy Sherman exhibition, wow. which is really cool because yeah. the artwork for Kill It Yourself was inspired by a Cindy Sherman exhibition that I saw in San Francisco. So uh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So do you think you might play here in Berlin? Is that at the back of your mind you might do a... I think there's some house concerts that I might do and I was planning to go to Switzerland with another Melbourne artist and do some shows over there. Mm-hmm. But I'm just kind of taking it as it comes because it's so exciting to be in Europe that, <gasps> you know, I kind of had these intentions of, you know, I'm here to write, which mm-hmm. I am and I'm doing that. But I'm quite fickle. I'm like, oh, what's happening over there? Oh, oh, a new dance party. Maybe I can go to that. Oh, I might try that. I've never done that before. So we'll just see what happens. Yes, it's a very distractible town. Indeed. And, of course, we've also invited you here for a very special reason, in particular, Jess, because you are an out Kate Bush fan. <laughs> and, of course, this is the Kate Bush episode of Three Wicked Women. Indeed. Who isn't? Yes. And I remember I was very privileged and lucky to be invited by Jess. Oliver and I actually went along to a taping of Rock Quiz. I love that show. And it was when Jess was invited to be one of the special music guest panellists, like Mm -hmm. the competitors. So this is an Australian... Uh, music quiz show, shall we say. Uh, on, on television. On tally for anyone who's not oh. from Australia listening. And it's the best one. It's I like. the best one. But as part of the show, they were introducing this like new little spot where they would invite the musician guest to reveal some kind of story behind a song. And Jess chose Cloud Busting oh. by Kate Bush. Oh. And you took us on a very long, strange, mystical very entertaining journey around. 60 second rant. It was most magnificent. So Jess, I, I thought I would ask you just to refresh our memories. So Cloud Busting was inspired by Wilhelm Reich. Yeah, so he created the Cloud Busting machine, which, you know, he believed that the sexual energy that's created between two people when they reach an orgasm has, you know, this superpower to heal the world and to uh you know cease pollution and war and create and rain as well create yeah, rain yeah. purify the whole universe yeah. and he wanted to capture that into a machine so, so that he could shoot it out into the world and create peace and he also believed that frogs just naturally resonated that same energy as well. <laughs> so he went about inventing this machine. The organ accumulator. And people started ordering it for various reasons. Now, there, there, was a, there was also a box that you sat in, the organ accumulator. So was this basically a masturbation box? Yeah, that's a good question. Was it a masturbation? I, I don't know if it's, it has to be created with another person. I'm not sure. We need to investigate that. We shall. Yes. We should. 
Because we are wicked women after all. Indeed. And we're very interested in orgasmic energy. Inquiring minds need to know. But the serious side of the story is that um, the authorities were furious. The American authorities are remembering the time in the 40s and it's the McCarthy era as well. The authorities were furious with him, burn all his publications and threw him in jail for two years. But this particular song is about that moment too, isn't it? Where It's about the moment where the sun is... Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the retelling of the son's perspective. So it's when little Peter Mm. was watching his dad uh, being taken away by these authorities. To jail. Yeah, to jail. Mm. And anyway, when Kate Bush was younger, she discovered this book called The Book of Dreams, which was written by Wilhelm's son, Peter. And she was really inspired by it. So Cloud Busting is based on a true story. Feel strange now, don't know what it is Feel we're fading, the lines are getting crossed Your voice is distant on the phone Where's the feeling when we talk? You better hurry back to love You better hurry back to love You better hurry Found some new friends Been going out at night Dancing on my own You better hurry back to love You better hurry back to love You better hurry Oh, hurry back to love. Oh, my gosh. All right. So one question we ask all of our Wicked Women guests. Indeed. Is. Who is your favourite Wicked Woman? I always want to say Patti Smith, but today I feel like saying Kate Bush. (laughs) 
<laughs> Feel yeah. no pressure. She's wicked. I think that I liked her so much because she was unique and her songwriting is, it's not so... It's not linear. It's Yeah, and she's not your typical pop star and yet everyone all over the world knows who she is. Mm-hmm. Visually, as a child, I enjoyed watching her. You know, we had all of her videos Mm. that seemed to be a big thing in my family was we had madonna videos we had kate bush videos and it was a visual thing it was the dancing Mm. and the costumes and the theatrical side of her her film clip performances thanks jess pleasure three wicked women not quite right radio Willkommen, Amelia Jane Hunter, to the Kate Bush episode. Dankeschön. Mm. So much like myself, as a, as a strong female performer, I imagine Kate Bush has had some sort of incendiary moment in your life. Yes, she did light a fire underneath my, I think, nine-year-old self. Mm. And indeed, my family, we were all very involved in her because my dad was a sound technician, so he <gasps> would always bring home the latest albums, mm, the vinyls, wonderful. and um, explain, you know, the, the needle point that he was playing them on and how we couldn't dance too closely to the album when it was playing uh, because it would jump. I mean, as Australians, we would all remember Countdown, <gasps> that magnificent program on a Sunday evening. Uh, and as a family, we would always sit down and watch it together. It sounds a bit daggy. But no, but it's it's it, there's a whole generation of Australians, <laughs> moi included. You absolutely. Well, yeah. We're with your sister. <laughs> so just for for our international listeners, mm. Countdown was like a ritual for anyone who was at all interested in music. It was the one time during the week that my dad would mark out uh, a square on the TV program just for <laughs> me, mm-hmm. and I was allowed to watch. Countdown. That was my evening show. So I guess the English equivalent would be top, top of, of the pops. pops. I'm not sure about the Brit- the German equivalent. Oh, there were there were, were lots of different. Yeah, yeah. but Some but a music fest, a weekly music show that had sort of the best of a very commercial pop as well as um, the latest releases, mm. latest releases and videos and. Crucially for Australia, a focus on Australian bands Mm. and putting them on an equal footing with international Mm. acts. Very true. Well, I remember this particular episode because it was definitely summer in Australia because mum had allowed us to have our dinner on trays in the the, the TV room uh, because it was too bloody hot for a roast. So we had dinner on trays on our laps and sat around as a family watching Countdown. That was 1980, so I'm just shy of eight years old, and on came Kate Bush's video for Babushka. Mm. Now, if you remember, she's in a black leotard. She's doing all manner of overtly sexual things with a double bass. And my dad was bracing himself for having to leave the room, I think. (laughs) But he needn't have worried because then, you know, when she breaks out into the... Chainmail bikini. Yes, into Babushka in in the chorus. I mean... It reminded me because at that time Doctor Who was also a huge impact on my life and my favourite female character in Doctor Who in those days when Tom Baker was the Doctor was Layla. Mm. I don't know if you remember her. She was a warrior woman who would appear in the TARDIS with him and fight off all the baddies Mm. and she wore like a leather bikini and, you know, worked with knives and was like my original sort of martial arts pin-up tough gal. 
I mean, she, you know, these girls would shit all over anyone in Game of Lara Thrones Croft. right now. Proto, <laughs> proto Xena warrior princess. Yeah, absolutely. And so there is Kate Bush busting out babushka in this outfit that looked like chain mail. Mm. I mean, she had feathers in her hair. She had a sword. She was wielding that rather dangerously. She was backlit too. Beautifully yeah. backlit. Her red hair mm. flaming. Mm. But we were completely gobsmacked. The whole family was, yeah. wow. Yeah. And mum's like, that's a bit racy, isn't it? Oh, wow, that's a bit racy. And dad was like, it's magnificent. Look at that, isn't it magnificent? <laughs> and I just remember thinking, who is this? And she's really, well, still is, but she was so pretty, so unique. And I don't remember the over sort of overtly sexual side of music then that it is now where mm. everything's just crumping or a pelvic thrust. I, I watched this back recently, the video, and mm. I thought I felt the exact same way about it as I did as a little girl. Wow. And we all loved it. And Dad That's immediately great. went out, bought the EP, mm-hmm. and we played it in the lounge room and we all busted out our own babushka moves. Oh. And it was just, I mean, for the next 10 weeks in 1980, that was the number one because on Countdown, obviously, they did the countdown to the mm-hmm. number one. That stayed at the top of the charts for 10 <laughs> weeks and, you know, just like it, it stayed on our stereo for 10 weeks. Oh, wow. And we just danced, you know, whenever Dad or Mum put it on, although Mum wasn't allowed to touch the needle because she was uh... a bit rough with it. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, Mum enrolled in aerobics after that because of the lycra, mm. you know, down at the Southern Cross Club. And we started going to aerobics because of the lycra. To me, that was the beginning of the lycra phase. Yeah. I mean, Madonna's renowned for, you know, fingerless gloves and midriff tops. And the netting. I attribute lycra to Kate Bush. Uh, But she had a huge impact on me as a Mm. young woman. She was a strong female figure. But but in a a a really unique voice, though. And and used all the parts of her voice. Mm. Nothing was... No colour was out of bounds. Mm. She didn't try to be polite. She uses the shrieking mm. and she uses the, the low parts. A little know? bit like Nina Hagen, actually, yeah. you know. Like yeah. she was, she's very oper- operatic, but mm. she would do the banshee. She would sing. She would speak sing. How do yeah, you say? Yeah, Sprech- uh, sang. yeah, yeah. She would do all of that too. And I guess they were contemporaries of, of a nature. Mm. Yeah. But you imagine being a child and hearing this song that both is, you know, it's catchy, but also she used... Sound effects like glass smashing, and mm. that was a first for me. And then, you know, I remember Dad making a comment going, well, she had the word synonym in there as a lyric. Now, I didn't know what a synonym was mm. at the age of barely eight, but now I certainly do. I thought, well, show me somebody else who's got that in there. No. it's In, in 1980. Synonym. Inc- incredibly intellectual music, but I, you, I mean, you said she was a strong woman, Megan, but... To me, she was like the ultimate form of femininity mm. because it wasn't a there wasn't a hardness. No, no, absolutely. but there was a there was a resolve in it. Yeah, so formidable. Like yeah. yeah, and you can and that means everything, the full gamut. In, mm. in, yeah, not not hard, but but strong. Yeah, powerful. Yeah, there was yeah. a real sensuality with her without sensuality. being sexual. Mm. Yeah, I mean, she was almost dancing around like a ballet dancer in mm. those sort of loose, sh- lovely flowing materials. Mm. You know, her flowing hair. And also, back in the days when video clips really had an impact on you, mm. watching it back in preparation for talking about it today, it was such a joy to see the simplicity of it as mm. well. And as you said, she was backlit a lot, but not in that, you know, oh, let's see her Princess Diana thighs <laughs> no kind of scenario. It was more just that was 1980, you know, there wasn't all that art direction. And in a way, what was there was 
just so it perfect. Was, but it was more, it was much more theatre than music video. Very theatrical. And I think that's probably what appealed to me as well. Mm. Of course, there will be a giant worldwide event on July 16th this year. Yes. In Berlin and around mm-hmm. the globe. An international day of Wuthering. A day of Wuthering. Where the Wuthering Heights clip will be reenacted in fields and paddocks across the universe. Indeed. Started by one Sam Waring sitting right <laughs> next to me. So Kate Bush, if you're listening, we, uh, we doth our hat to you. And yes. um, we hope somehow that you can experience this. Day of Wuthering. With us in spirit. Mm-hmm. If or not in, in person. person. Yeah. There's an open invitation. Amelia Jane Hunter, you've committed no nuisance whatsoever. It's been illuminating. Thank you so much. And just so you know, it will be inappropriate because I'll be coming dressed in her babushka chain mail outfit. Running after the Wutherings. (laughs) Wonderful. Yes. Excellent. Swinging a sword. Three Wicked Women, the Sirens of Radio. If you'd like to stay in touch with Amelia's adventures through life and comedy, you can follow her on Twitter at Amelia J Hunter. Test one, two. Three Wicked Women. So, Sam, given that this is our Three Wicked Women episode dedicated entirely to Kate Bush. Entirely. <laughs> it's pretty cool, isn't it? We've been it? working up to this point for four episodes. Oh, yes, I have shivers. <laughs> yes. Well, I did a bit of noodling around on the interwebs, a bit of research, because very shortly we will be talking about food, as we usually do here on Three Wicked Women. And I came across a food blog called Wuthering Bites, (laughs) (laughs) which is a gluten-free recipe blog for the experimental cook. Yeah, so the the URL is wutheringbites.co.uk for anyone who's curious and wants to find out more. And the title was, in fact, inspired by not only, and I quote the author here, her strong love, in quotations for Kate Bush, but also gluten-free cooking. And I guess, like, Kate Bush is on the record as being a vegetarian. Too. Yeah, she is. Um, she has. She's also been on the record as saying that when she does cook, she will start with a recipe but often just kind of throw it out the window and improvise. So a... a uh, a gluten-free recipe blog for the experimental cook sounds exactly up her alley. It would. I wonder if she's read it. Mm. But anyway, it's. I guess it's just as well we didn't talk about meat today. Like we've we've done the curry worst. Oh yes, <laughs> very much kind flush is our Kate. But <laughs> I do know that she is partial to a cheese flan and a card-carrying vegetarian. So it's just as well that today gut feeling focuses on cheese of the blue variety. Now it's time for Oliver Budax. Gut feeling. Freak food and wine matching with Oliver Budak, sommelier, Berlin. So we're back with freak food and wine pairings with Oliver Budak and his segment, Welcome Oliver. Well, welcome to you ladies and I see with <laughs> shock and horror that you're already munching the little oh. prepared um, well, we went to. blue cheese nibblies. Thank God I have backup. We're such heathens. <laughs> um, well, um, uh, to, oh. For the enjoyment or the ultimate enjoyment, <gasps> I have brought a oh. bottle of Auslese from the Mosel. Oh. So, Oliver, what's behind the food and wine pairing today? Well, cheese, cheese is a, a bit of a difficult one. And most of us, I think, like a bottle of red or a glass of red with your cheese. I, since I live in Germany, have learned that there's other options. One of them, which I think is working particularly well with blue cheese, is um, a late harvest style wine. 
Mm. And uh, if you're in Germany, if you go into the shops, and again, that's, a, that's an affordable option. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, if you would be in Australia, you're thinking of a Botrytis-style wine and um, naming a famous one, for example, the Bortoli Noble one. I knew mm -hmm. you were going to say Black Noble. You can put that on ice cream too. Did you know that? It is <laughs> the best dessert in the world. That's, and I, can I just yeah. say that Sam's eyes are rolling back in her head right now <laughs> while she's making that noise. <laughs> but, but they're expensive wines too. So they're mm. delicious. Mm. And, I, and, and something like the Black Noble, mm. which would be in Europe something similar to, to um, Pedro Jimenez's uh, style of sherry mm. from Spain, is extremely rich and lush and caramel sugars. Earning, and, uh, earning its nickname of stickies. Mm. However, we can do this uh, at, at also at a budget. This kind of enjoyment is available to us and I hope it works. And we have the wine in front of us, a 2003 Auslaser, Riesling Auslaser from the Mosel. So it's, what uh, does Auslaser mean? Auslaser basically means uh, in Germany you have a pretty card level, a quality level to quantify the quality of your wine. Mm -hmm. Is that like your French table wine and then going up through the Grand Cru and that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, but, but in Germany everything is technical. So here the, the, the five levels of Predicat, the mm -hmm. quality levels are determined on the sugar level in the grapes prior to harvest. Ah. So they're established with a refractometer, with a technical device, how much sugar is actually in the grapes. And if the sugars levels, for example, go over 80 Oechsle, and in Australia or other nations, we possibly use the word boom, but don't ask me how many booms is 80 Oechsle. Oh, don't worry, I won't. You, <laughs> you possibly quantify then as a spätlese, and spätlese translated means late harvest. Okay. So in, in average, if the harvest, depending on where you are in Germany, is at the end of September uh, or early October, then a Mosel is possibly going into mid-October because it's further up north, mm. it's cooler. You will harvest these grapes possibly <clears throat> two weeks later than your main crop. Oh. And they're selected grapes, so mm -hmm. they're the special ripe ones, but they are not affected by noble rot yet. Ah. They're still clean. They just have a higher residual sugar. And at some stage when they ferment this wine... They also stop the fermentation. Sometimes the fermentation, depending on what kind of yeast strains they use, stops automatically mm -hmm. because the yeast, if it's a natural yeast, is, which exists in the vineyard and in the cellar, is not strong enough to metabolize all the sugars. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the ferment can stop. Uh, you can also cool down the tank where the wine is fermenting and you so also can stop the fermentation. Oh. And you do this because you want to maintain some of these residual sugars in your mm -hmm. wine consequently the wine also has less alcohol right so this wine has only eight percent well i'm ah. not drinking it then <laughs> no, <sorry>. <laughs> so <laughs> spoken like a true australian <laughs> megan <laughs> i know it's it's sad i yeah. know savagery shall we try it shall yes. we try this uh, yeah uh, how do you say it again Auslese. Auslese, and yeah. we're going to try on a what is the german equivalent as close as i could get the jets or the Clicks Bicky mm. for, for any Australians listening. And what kind of cheese is this? On the, on the Bicky we have a Saint-Augur mm. from France. I believe that's northern France. It's, it's a reasonably mild blue cheese. Mm. It's not too salty, <laughs> but it's already past the beginner's level. So She's you... giving me sex eyes now. <laughs> oh, my God. I have so, to say I'm finding it strange um, and boring. <laughs> Go whichever way you okay. like. I think I, I start with the cheese and, okay. and then I will indulge we'll, into we'll the follow wine. You. We'll follow you. Okay. Much the same as the curry verst. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll have a click, Vicky. Mm. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, that's nice mm. and creamy. Great cheese. Oh, my mm. God. So good. Mm. Oh, my God. 
God. Talk about sex noises. Mm. And you can just get this in any like mm. normal Easy. supermarket. And cheap again. I mean, they are a bit dearer than the average wines. But you still only pay oh. like two sixty nine for but a, you know, or something. You're talking about the cheese. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Two fifty at Kaiser's, thank you. Mm. And um, mm. the wine with it is amazing. Oh, my Lord. It's not too sweet. Oh, There's my a, God. It's sort of apricot-y. Mm. It has lost a little bit of its of its power. It's thirteen years old. This this wine. This wine. Mm. It was oh. not necessarily um, wanted, but um, in in the mm. short preparation time I had, I picked that one because that one was also affordable. Quite often, oh, yeah. you pay for a sticky in a small bottle, fifteen twenty bucks and onwards. Australian or euros? Euros. Mm. Mm. Um, and I was. Um, on a budget, so I bought this one, which uh, funnily enough came in a half liter bottle. This format is not around anymore, I think, uh, for 14 euros. This cheese is not too salty. Some blue mm. cheeses can be quite salty. This is mm. rather creamy and, and really well balanced, as the wine is. And I was, um, first I was hoping a little bit more from the wine, but I guess I can't because it's 13 years old. It still tastes very fresh. I would not have thought in a blind tasting it is that old. No. It still has a fine level of acidity, but the fruit is already fading. It's not in your face that but, much. You know, it's, it's kind of why it goes with the blue, I think. Yeah. I, I, and I agree. And I, I thought that too. Sometimes, and we had other experiences here together where we had explosions and everything was going off like a firework. However, we are at the end of the meal. We were sitting here possibly for two hours and at the end there is that cheese platter <laughs> and everyone is relaxed and everyone is calm and we had so much to drink and so much to enjoy. How much more do we want? Now there's a little bit of cheese on a cracker with a tiny delicious amount of wine and you just sit there and savor it mm-hmm. and nothing big has to happen anymore. It's just a subtle, slow experience and the wine just sits back nicely but supports the experience. It doesn't take anything away from the cheese. It carries us nicely, mm. but the cheese is the star and it stays on your palate. I think yeah. it's a very mild, like this is the ideal blue cheese for someone who would like to try blue cheese but isn't certain about mm. it. And that there's a, there's a nice mild tang to the blue that matches mm. the acidity, the well, mild acidity in the wine. And it's not the kind of blue where you have to get the nuclear-proof suit on with the tongs. And, and, and you and stand outside <laughs> to open it and so. Can I just say, it is possible to get drunk on cheese. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm, I'm getting drunk on this cheese, but living with Oliver as I do, <laughs> the German husband, mm. we have had many, many drunk cheese experiences oh. together. Mm. I, you know, what interests me about cheese in, mm. in Europe, apart from having easy access to all of Europe's marvellous cheeses, is that the Europeans don't have the very specific Australian and New Zealand concept of cheese dreams. What is that? You don't have cheese dreams. No. no. If, you eat, if you eat too much strong cheese before bed, it gives you wacky dreams. But really? This is, I don't know if this is scientifically verified. This is, this is merely a cultural concept because the Germans have not heard of cheese dreams. Mm, no. <laughs> That's hilarious. We, we, we were born with cheese in the cradle, so forget about this. It's normal. <laughs> cheese, meat and bread for yeah, breakfast. Right? Yeah, right? But, but you said something interesting before, Sam, about the, the, the saltiness in the cheese and goes well with the acidity. Mm. It does. And I think, therefore, if you want to try something like this, I mean, you can buy a late harvest wine. So again, if you go to the shops, look for Auslese or Spätlese. But I would, I would pick a Riesling. Riesling has uh, naturally um, a very high acidity to it. The, the acidity is very well matching with the saltiness of mm. the cheese. 
And it's actually not multiplying it, what you might think first, oh, what will happen? It's, it's, it's salty here and it's acidic there. What happens on our palate, actually, that the saltiness slightly decreases that perception of acidity from the wine. Ah. So even those people which say, oh, I don't like Riesling, it's too acidic. It, it's, it's fine. Well, Oliver, you have intoxicated us today oh. with this late harvest wine and this very mild... Blue cheese. So what else is there to say, Sam, other than thank you to the Jesus of cheeses and wine, <laughs> Oliver Budak. And Oliver, for anyone who's interested in following your food and wine adventures, what's your website address? You can find me on oliverbudak.com and that's B-U-D-A-C-K. Thank you. And as Sam has one more little swizzle, swig, oh, she's in. She's in for the long haul. Stand back, everybody. Yeah. We will say adieu and speak to you again soon. Is your show still called Three Wicked Women? Are we not still wicked? So that's it for episode four of Three Wicked Women, a.k.a. side one, track four. We just know that something good is going to happen. We do, collectively. (laughs) Our episode entirely devoted to the fabulous Kate Bush and to the most Wuthering Heights day ever, hashtag day of Wuthering, which is literally only days away. So, Sam, as the organiser... The founder of this global extravaganza. Crazy. How are you feeling? Uh, amazed that we've gotten this far. <laughs> Without being shut down. Without being shut down or going mad or imploding with glee. Well, oh. I wish you the best in advance. Thank and you. I cannot wait to see the documentation from it. I know there'll be lots of photos flooding into our social media pages. And, of course, you can visit the most Wuthering Heights Day ever Berlin page to get the rundown of all of the various events around the world. And you can also post photos and videos and send nice messages on Facebook. Yes. Yes. And finally, what else is there left to say? Happy Wuthering, everybody. Happy Wuthering. And we know that something good is going to happen. Yay! <laughs> Three Wicked Women is an independent podcast produced by Megan Spencer. That's you. It is. And Samantha Waring. That's me. It is. Huge thanks to sound wizard James Tolson from Berlin Tour Support. To this week's special guests. And to our regular guests, Oliver Budak for Gut Feeling. And the very wicked Amelia Jane Hunter for Commit No Nuisance. And the Three Wicked Women theme song is Stolen Kisses by Wasp Summer. That's you, Sam. And our percussive stings are by Oliver Budak. And we would love to hear from you, our wicked audience. You can drop us a line at threewickedwomenradio at gmail.com. Stay up to date with us on Facebook by liking Three Wicked Women Radio. Or you can tweet us at Wicked Women Rad because that's frankly what we are. Share, stream or download the Three Wicked Women podcast from threewickedwomenradio.bandcamp.com. And we can't wait to talk to you again next time in another fit of voluptuous panic. Cheers!